So I read an amazing article about smell recently and about the mysteries of smell and how science in the last couple of decades is just stepping out of the stone age in terms of understanding smell. They're just starting to really explore how neural receptors capture smell and how that information travels to the brain and then how the brain puts it all together for us to recognize any particular scent. And they're just discovering the incredible complexity of olfaction, the sense of smell. Like with vision, we depend on four kinds of receptors, rods and three types of cones. But with smell, they now know there are about 400 receptors. And those receptors are estimated to be able to detect as many as a trillion smells. So researchers' minds have been blown with the discoveries that there are countless connections between our immune systems and genes and hormones. And apparently until recently, medical textbooks didn't even bother to include a chapter on smell or taste, apparently just considering them insignificant afterthoughts about the functioning of the human body. So why am I getting all nerdy about smell? Well, in an odd way, it made me think about the mysteries of God's presence in our life. How we sense God. You know, we're surrounded by smell, which apparently has huge influences on our behavior, conscious and unconscious, like the obvious, oh, I smell smoke, there's a fire, uh, to the newly discovered that we apparently can tell just from sniffing the t-shirt another person has worn, whether or not that person's immune system is similar to ours, and if it's different, we will find that person more attractive. So just like smell, we're surrounded by the divine. Our very beings are formed by the divine, created in the image of God. And our faith proclaims that God not only lived among us in the person of Jesus Christ, but also through his death, resurrection, and ascension, he lives with us today. And that is an extraordinary mystery. And it's a mystery that we sense, we sense God with a multitude of receptors in our souls. And receptors that we can sometimes describe their impact, like how we may feel singing a hymn, like Immortal, Invisible, which is one of my all-time favorites we sing at the beginning. And then there are other ways, other receptors and ways we sense God that are really beyond our understanding. And we do respond to God, kind of like we respond to smell, both consciously and unconsciously, in all the ways we live and move and have our being. So this morning, our readings give us a picture, a really big picture of who God is and how God operates in our lives and has operated in the lives of people in millennia before us. It's a picture of how we're called to sense God and respond. I mean, Isaiah's reading at the beginning that Pia read, it almost bashes us over the head. He's crying out, have you not heard? Have you not seen? The Lord is an everlasting God, great in strength, mighty in power, giving power to the faint, and strengthening the powerless. And then the psalm 
calling us to praise God everywhere, calling us to see how God through time gathers exiles, how God heals the brokenhearted, binds up wounds, lifts up the lowly. The psalm proclaiming God to be mighty in power and with no limit to wisdom. This is all about lifting up God's presence around us and active in the world through time. Right there, right here for us to sense and respond to. In our gospel reading, in 10 little tiny verses from that first chapter of Mark, we have God in Christ healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law, curing many who were sick, casting out demons. Jesus is essentially liberating people from the forces and afflictions that bind. Jesus has already told us this is his mission. This is what he came to do. And at the end of this passage, he reaffirms that and says, yes, let's move on to the neighboring towns and spread the good news, for that is what I came to do. But sandwiched between all this healing activity and this ministry, between one village and the next, Jesus slips out quietly to immerse himself in the greatness of God, to immerse himself in God's all-encompassing loving power and strength. So as it's written, right there in the middle of the passage, in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. This passage gives us this really beautiful dynamic of being active in ministry and doing what we're called to do in the chaos of life, and then also needing to create space and, and time to sense God and connect with God and connect with the bigger picture, to get the bigger perspective. And it's a beautiful cycle we'll see repeated later. Jesus immersed with, in ministry with people, then immersed in God. Re-immersed in ministry, re-immersed in God. Each one needing the other. Ministry and prayer and ministry and prayer. And we too need to live the cyclic rhythm of life. The ministry we do in life, the light of Christ that we shine in all that we do, needs to be fed by prayer. And we're called to follow Jesus, be like Jesus, and make time and space to connect with the divine. Connect with that big perspective that's all around us. But one that we lose sight of when we're fully immersed in doing the do of life. And that's easier said than done for most of us. And when I read Jesus went to a deserted place, my pandemic-immersed brain just went, Phew. Sure, go somewhere. I'm trapped at home, and I'm sick of being at home. And my first instinct is to rattle off that list of I can't. I can't find time. I can't find the right deserted space. I can't do it well. But then the priest brain kicks in, tells me to look at this passage again. And we see that Jesus is not at home. He's on the road. He's not in a familiar space. He's staying with Simon and Andrew and their families. And Jesus is not basking in free time. The night before he goes out to pray, he's got the whole city at his door clamoring to be healed. And then even when he's praying, it doesn't tell us how long. Oh, he had a lovely hour to be praying. It could have been minutes. The disciples come and interrupt him and say, hey, everyone's looking for you. We need you. 
So Jesus's prayer life is happening in as much chaos and uncertainty and unfamiliarity as ours. I even had a little fun wondering what his deserted place was. I mean, perhaps it was ideal, you know, the town where Simon and Andrew's families lived was on the Sea of Galilee. And that's what I've always imagined, you know, sunrise over beautiful water, Jesus up on a hill overlooking the sea. But his deserted place could have been the boathouse, could have been the stables, could have been behind some house. Because God isn't restricted to special spaces or just gorgeous geographies. God's everywhere and can be sensed everywhere, can be breathed in everywhere. So we're invited to respond to this everywhereness of God by simply making some alone time, wherever we can find privacy and however small that window may be. This is what how we will be fed by God, who's already about us, calling us to sense her, to hang out with her, and to smell her. Looking at the, this passage in Bible study this week, we had a great discussion about how God is always calling us, always there. And that prayer is simply picking up the phone, answering God's texts or tweets or posts. All we really need to do is show up. So let us take the time to pray, to see, to hear, to just be with the divine reality. As Isaiah proclaims, the Lord is an everlasting God, great in strength, mighty in power, giving power to the faint, strengthening the powerless. This is a perspective we need. This is the love we need. So yes, let us join Jesus and go to a deserted place and pray. Amen.